Hi, I'm Bradley Barth, senior reporter with SC Media. Welcome to our podcast. My guest today is Curtis Simpson, Chief Information Security Officer at Internet of Things Enterprise Security Company, Armis. Uh, for 10 years, Curtis was with the multi-billion dollar food distribution company, Cisco, based down in Texas, uh, roughly five of those years as the CISO. Uh, for those not familiar, Cisco delivers food products, smallwares, cooking equipment, and more to restaurants, healthcare facilities, hospitality companies, educational institutions, and more. Uh, Curtis, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, brother. Uh, Curtis, a big reason why you're here as a guest today is because the food supply chain right now is facing uh, unprecedented demand as a result of the global coronavirus pandemic. I would think that the scramble to meet consumer needs at this critical time potentially opens up distributors of food as well as other essential goods and supplies to cyber risk and perhaps makes them a target for attack. Uh, can you elaborate on what you see as the biggest potential vulnerabilities and threats to supply chain organizations at this time? What should they be on the lookout for? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, a, it's an interesting question, especially as you see things from a couple fronts. Um, one of those, as you've seen, so if you look at my ex-employer, Cisco, um, has changed their business model as a result of this event, right? So as you mentioned, Cisco would traditionally deliver to the likes of hospitals, schools, uh, businesses, obviously ranging from various types of restaurants, et cetera, but hasn't traditionally supplied grocery stores. Now what you're seeing is Cisco is supplying grocery stores because the supply chain has been so critically affected and Cisco has one of the largest trucking fleets in all of North America. Now, what's interesting about that to me is there's a couple of, of risks because we throw, there's a number of risks as we think about this now. But one of the other things that also resonates in my mind, being a risk individual for a long period of time now is what people are also learning from this event overall. So bad actors are both, um, looking for immediate opportunities, but also can often be strategic around looking at learnings from world events like we're seeing right now. So I say all that because as bad actors are looking at what's playing out in the world today, looking at how disrupted the supply chain has been, how food supplies have been affected, and how certain companies have had to step up to be able to affect those supply chains positively, I would look at those companies being considered a potential target in the future. And the reason I say that is because what we are seeing and what we continue to see on, on many different, in many different examples is that bad actors like to kick us when we're down. You look at the recent attacks against healthcare, um, those are, it's evident that our healthcare facilities sector industry is strained as is everyone's based upon what's going on, but wasn't, what wasn't as immediately evident was the strain that this was gonna have on, on the food supply chain specifically so much to the point that, again, you're seeing businesses change what, how they operate in order to not only stay relevant, but to help the world deal with the situation we're facing now. So to me, what that underlines are some of the concerns that I had before an event like this. One of those is that if you don't have visibility into all of the core components that ultimately allow your warehouse operations, your supply chain, transportation functions to operate and to perform those critical operations, which is usually driven heavily by OT and IoT devices. The reality is this, I think the appetite for compromising those environments and claiming a ransom 
not based upon ransomware, but rather based upon the fact that if IoT and OT devices can be compromised and used to take down that entire environment, disrupt that environment, affect the quality of food and goods within the environment, they've ultimately further disrupted the supply chain that can't take another impact and can't take Mm -hmm. another blow. And that becomes harder to recover from than it normally is. And I would argue that in this industry, there's very little room for error. There's very little room for downtime. And that's been shrinking constantly. Um, When you look at this type of of situation, though, it just exacerbates that risk to the point where if folks aren't doubling down on understanding what is in the environment, truly understanding what are those critical components from an OT, IT, IoT perspective that help those critical functions actually continue to function and allow for the customers downstream to be serviced, um, this could get a lot worse. And maybe not through this event, but as we continue to see world events, whether it's flooding like we continue to see in cities like Houston, where I'm based, that end up affecting operations for days to weeks, and folks realizing what they can affect and what impact that can have. I'm concerned both about today and tomorrow. And I think the other thing we need to be concerned about as we look at this space and the added risk is, as we know that the likes of grocery stores have been struggling to get the food onto the shelves that people need to continue to survive, could those customers be seen as a downstream target? So this is something else that we looked at as a risk in that if you're able to actually affect the supply chain and that you can taint the food by affecting temperatures in refrigeration units while also freezing temperatures on sensors, you're able to affect healthcare sectors and industries in a different way. Now you've delivered tainted food to an overstretched area that can't have people getting food poisoning or getting sick. Um, with other illnesses and other afflictions, well, again, that space is already completely stretched. Uh, you just referenced the idea of current conditions exacerbating risk. Uh, I would think that would especially be the case for companies like Dyson, GM, uh, Ford, who are literally converting their facilities to respond to the pandemic by producing masks, medical equipment, PPE products, uh, things of that nature. Uh, Would you agree that something like that would uh, also be a condition that would introduce even more risk because maybe they're introducing certain processes, certain devices that uh, weren't there before, but, you know, they've had to scramble to change things under the circumstances? Absolutely. The reality in these situations, unfortunately, whether you're dealing with something as massive as this or you've been hit by a strike somewhat unexpectedly and you're having to revert operations to other facilities, bring on staff um, that normally wouldn't do these jobs, change equipment or refactor equipment. As you think about responding to these scenarios, my experience is, is you do your best, but you have a timeline and that clock is ticking. So as you think about that, you're, you're, as you mentioned, you're refactoring manufacturing plants, you're likely introducing new equipment, um, you're likely spinning up new credentials and authentic- or creating new integrations and authentication points throughout the environment to allow certain things to communicate that never have never communicated before. As you think through that, in this time or in this time of crisis, it's more important than ever for a security team to really be providing the value behind the scenes at not controlling or slowing down what's happening, but rather just continuing to assess the landscape and looking for anomalous behaviors and at minimum signs of malicious activity within the environment. Because just as we touched on, 
bad actors are hitting us when we're down. And reality is, is this is the perfect opportune moment when we're publicly announcing that certain companies are having to refactor plants, rapidly spin up capabilities to deliver life-saving um, solutions and products to people that are in dire straits and need them more than they ever have. Again, those unfortunately are often buzzwords and terms that will draw the likes of bad actors because they know that if they are execute, able to execute things like a ransom event, again, not just ransomware, but pull the company at ransom, they know that payout's likely going to be significant because we're talking about life or death. We're not just talking about profit or not. You mentioned introducing new equipment to some of these facilities, potentially. You're also probably introducing new people in many cases. There's a human element to this. Companies like, for example, you look at Instacart or Amazon, uh, hiring thousands of new workers to help meet the demand. Uh, these workers may not be properly trained in how to safely use certain digital and connected devices. Uh, how significant of an issue is that? And is there anything that can be done to mitigate that risk? Or is it just something you kind of have to live with under the circumstances? Yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of both. Um, so you're entirely right. There's going to be a lot of folks that have to be hired at a rapid pace, like we are continuing to see across a number of the companies that you did mention, the sectors that you mentioned. Um, the reality is, is that, yeah, a lot of these folks are going to be trained on how to do the job, how to do the job safely, but may not be trained on all of those traditional security policy elements. I think really, as I've looked at this over the past, and I've dealt with much smaller situations than this, to me, one of the most important things to do is double down on monitoring. Uh, you already know that you've had to make some exceptions as to how folks are introduced within the environment. But before this event, we had already become, or we'd already as, as responsible security practitioners, identified what are those most important data elements within our environment? What data needs to be most protected? What do those controls need to look like? What do I need to monitor? Now what really changes is all of that still remains true. What you're really looking at, though, is some new behavioral patterns that you're going to have to quickly understand and monitor for, but more than anything else, continue to monitor those most critical elements, being the data, the apps, the services that are truly core to doing business, core to differentiating you from the market, et cetera. Um, that's really where the focus has to be right now as we continue to try to balance speed and security as we try to get through this situation. Now, you were CISO at Cisco until around uh, February 2019, so a little over a year ago. Correct. Put yourself back in those shoes right now. If you were still there as Chief Information Security Officer, what would be your game plan as this crisis unfolds? Uh, start with maybe giving me what your number one priority would be, and then go down a quick list of how you would be mobilizing your security team. Absolutely. So from our perspective, the good thing is, is that uh, we were a customer of Armis um, even before I left and had full visibility into what was happening in these most critical areas of our environment. We would make sure that our focus remained on monitoring those environments, quite frankly, would ratchet up some of our automatic response mechanisms that had no impact on business, but quite frankly, we're a little more sensitive to some of those events going on that could impact productivity. But to, with all that being said, my top risk and concern would be around third-party access. And I say that because, so there's been a lot of conversation about the, around the new risks that have been introduced with mass remote work. 
very true. You're now talking about environments um, that are potentially compromised, meaning you've got home networks that are potentially compromised. You've got devices on those home networks that are potentially compromised. You've got home PCs potentially being used to access SaaS services and the like, potentially compromised. As I've talked to a lot of CISOs in recent days, a couple of things we have talked about are, are revolve around identities and data. Because what quickly becomes a concern when you talk about heavy remote work is, and the, the concern overall around remote work is you have less control. And prior to this event, there was less of a concern around this lower level of control because you had a smaller number of people working from home. So you managed it the best you could with the amount of resources you thought were appropriate. Well, now, not only is every employee working from potentially compromised networks, potentially compromised devices, et cetera, so are all of your third parties. And as you think about the risk you have with third parties prior to this event, where they've likely been in the environment for a long period of time, they have privileged access, they've been trusted in many different ways, including potentially having exceptions to how they're being monitored. Now, all of those other things that were, that were true and that you're concerned about for employees are now true and should be even more concerning for third parties. And as you look at a company that is as large as, as Cisco, it's a lot of third parties, both on the business and the technology side. And as you think about the fact, too, that there may not be people in facilities as certain things happen, remote access for these third parties to be able to, to get things back up and running probably spikes as it normally does in these types of events. So for me, what I would really be doubling down on in, in that regard was something we were already looking at, but is really around access broker technology, really looking at getting those third parties off of that network, having some sort of hardened um, buffer between the third parties and the corporate environment that would give me better visibility into exactly what they were doing and would give me less pause for concern about the uh, state of their devices and the state of their network and those things potentially spreading further infection into the landscape. And then the reason why I say that is the most significant risk at the top of my, uh, from my perspective as I look at this is because if that's allowed to happen, it goes back to what I stated, privileged access usually has widespread access into critical components in the environment. And even when not, those components in the environment may have critical impacts if they're affected. You think about HVAC controllers, refrigeration units that are remotely monitored and all those types of things. That risk is high because if that event occurs, the ripple effect is potentially very significant. Um, and could be hard to recover from depending on how widespread the tentacles of that third party might be. All right, well, very interesting. And we're certainly living in uh, interesting times right now and challenging times for uh, CISOs and security teams. But I would like to transition now from talking about COVID-19 uh, to a little bit more about day-to-day -day challenges experienced by companies uh, like uh, Cisco, uh, and then also talk about your relatively new role at Armis and the complex universe of uh, Internet of Things devices. With that said, let's talk a little bit more about your time at, at Cisco and, and some more about supply chain and, and IoT in, within the supply chain environment. That sounds good. Let's dive in. For starters, uh, explain to me, Cisco is a Fortune 54 company, massive company that provides food, food equipment to uh, various 
food retailers and uh, restaurant hospitality companies uh, all around the world. Uh, you, you, that was an incredibly complex, complicated environment in which you worked. Uh, we're talking something along the lines of more than 69,000 associates, 320 distribution facilities worldwide, 650,000 customer locations. So when you're dealing with an environment that complex, you obviously have a lot of complex uh, information security issues and uh, operational IT issues. Uh, talk about what some of your biggest uh, challenges were in the time that you were there and uh, how that uh, helps uh, inform some of your uh, decision making today in your new position at Armis. Excellent question. So a couple different ways of looking at that. Um, first and foremost, to look at the industry a little bit. Most operators within food service are small to medium businesses. So one of the challenges we always have is around acquisitions and the fact that traditionally small to medium businesses don't invest heavily in security programs. And if you're going to acquire those companies and adjust them into a larger organization, you not only need to worry about those business capabilities that are being enabled to observe the value of that acquisition, but you want to protect and safeguard that acquisition as well. So in many cases, what we had to develop was a rapid methodology around enabling a full stack of capabilities within operations where they may not exist. Couple that when you look at some other org challenges, the company for decades has been focused on North America. Um, as they've recently branched out into Latin America and Europe, et cetera, got a lot of different permutations on how business processes are run, the cultures are totally different, the way of servicing customers is totally different. The tools that they use, both technology and physical hardware and everything, vary. Um, and interestingly enough, because it was mostly, the company was mostly governed from the U.S. And, govern, and that governance was mostly across the U.S. and Canada, we had to globalize our function without really the centralized support of global functions. So we had to individually interact with develop consistent programs across the globe that could actually meet not only the programs here in North America, but actually meet and improve those business processes and programs around or in Europe, Latin America, etc. And then on top of all of that, what we were rapidly realizing and that led us to Armis in the first place was that not only do we have all these permutations of, of business processes and supporting devices, etc., we were quickly realizing that our visibility into those devices was far too low. Um, it was something we needed to actually address, both, again, understanding how these businesses run so we could better inform the business on what their priorities should be, but also what are those risks that we need to manage and how do we need to manage them. Now, at, at Cisco, you were vice president and global CISO for approximately, I think, a year and a half, correct? But you correct. were with the entire organization for close to, what, was it 10 years ten approximately? Years. Yeah, okay. So... Um, Talk a little bit about, uh, I want to uh, go a little bit more into some of the uh, complexities of the environment in, in which you were uh, working, um, particularly from an IoT perspective. So what kinds of IoT technologies uh, are present in the various facilities? What did you have to account for? What are the cyber risks of that? Great. So the, the types of IoT and OT devices we saw across the facilities varied. Um, and the reason for that is because there's many different types of facilities in an organization like Cisco. So if you look at Cisco specifically, 
you've got traditional warehouse operations, you've got, and those are typically joined with the office, you have standalone offices, you have truck yards um, that have various different types of equipment in them, you have meat processing plants, you have slaughterhouses, you have produce facilities. Each of these different facilities have different business processes and therefore different supporting tech. So what we found four years ago that led us down this path in the first place um, was that we had a safe connected to the internet. And not to, to belabor that, but it was interesting to us because not only did we not really understand why a safe in a cash and carry area would need to be connected to the internet, we later realized it was tied to a cloud service to understand money coming in and out of the safe and to authorize specific users to do so, which you can kind of understand. But it opened our eyes to something, again, about four years ago that for years we've been saying maybe 1% of our environment is IT and IoT and things we can't manage through traditional means. When we discovered this safe and we assessed our environments, what we realized is not only did we have traditionally benign devices like safes now connected to networks, safes, vending machines, CCTV cameras, voice over IP phones, printers, um, to name some of the traditional things in the office, but when you start going to other facilities, you have the actual machines used to cut meat, you have temperature sensors um, in the facilities, you have temperature sensors in the trucks, you have smart refrigeration units themselves, um, not the sensors, but the unit. You've got um, the devices being used by warehouse employees to select the right products, to put the right products on a pallet. Then you have device that would wrap those pallets. You have specialized label printers that are unique to this type of operation that you would then print labels on and drop those on the pallets. And interestingly enough, we even had one facility that was entirely robotic. Um, it was a pilot facility, and potentially the company may grow into more of those, but that entire facility was comprised of IoT and OT. You can think of it as, just to give this example, because we've all seen it, an Amazon-like facility, right? So you've got products being automatically sorted and pushed down conveyor belts and then finally getting into the pallets and into the trucks. The vast majority of that was facilitated, automated through IoT and OT. And if we think about the business, it's... It's an operation that's always been close to 24 by 7, that's rapidly been trying to get to a 24 by 7 operation, combined with all of these other risks around food safety and everything else. So these IoT devices were prolific, and the risk to business strategy and business compliance was also significant. So we have the setup in terms of all of the different IoT technology that you had to contend with. Uh, just maybe delve a little bit more then into what were, uh, in your mind, the, the top risks? What were sort of the, the, the fears of, of how such technology could be uh, abused potentially by a malicious actor? Um, and, and how do you manage that kind of a complex environment? What was sort of your go-to strategy? Yeah, great question. So one of the important things to note is that we looked at ourselves as a gateway to target others. So I say that because it's important to note some of Cisco's customers, military, healthcare, school systems. So you talk about the ability to potentially disrupt those downstream clients through the supply chain. That was honestly the largest risk that, that I looked at and that I spoke to with the board executives, et cetera. And as we looked at this, it was a few different things. So not only was there the potential to impact the warehouse, so we're near 24 by 7 operation, when the warehouse goes down, particularly at the time of the evening, when products are being selected and put onto trucks to be shipped up to the customers by early morning, 
When the warehouse goes down at that point in time, company's losing money every moment. So there's an extreme focus on avoiding those downtime events, but when you look at all these IoT and OT devices in the environment, if you're not understanding what's there, what's normal versus abnormal, are these things potentially communicating with no malicious sources, are they trying to infect other things because it looked like they've been infected, if we're not looking at, if we weren't looking at any of that, the worry was this environment could go down at potentially any time, and bringing it back up would be difficult. Because, again, we're not looking at those devices. We don't understand them. We didn't understand the behaviors of them until we had Armist in place. Some of the other risks we were concerned about were specifically tied to food safety. So whether it was affecting that downstream customer specifically or just on large, you look at a refrigeration unit, well, what if that refrigeration unit just went offline? One, we potentially have to throw away all that product. If that was a cut and dry scenario where that was obvious, well, what if the temperature readout was changed and the refrigeration unit was not affected, or the refrigeration unit temperature was upped by 10 degrees, but the readout was the same, whether that happened in one of our facilities or the trucks, the worry was the ramifications could be significant depending on that scale, depending on the downstream customer. Um, and food safety compliance is incredibly important in that industry and for a company like Cisco. So obviously, when you're dealing with even the largest of corporations, there's only sort of an X amount of uh, budget that's going to be allocated toward uh, shoring up the defenses for your environment. Um, so speaking from someone who had to go through that experience at Cisco, and now speaking from your current experience at Armis, where you might be providing guidance to organizations in all sorts of sectors, healthcare, government, smart cities, what what did you choose to strategically focus on as your your core defenses um, at at Cisco and 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 what would be your advice uh, now at, at, in your current role at CISO at Armis in terms of you know organizations what what are they going to want to emphasize first if they have a very complex IoT environment? So a couple different things. First and foremost. When, if we're looking at this risk from a technical perspective, we know we need to bring this to the business and we need to solve this through budget, solutions, et cetera. The, the most important thing is to make sure that the business understands the risk to the business. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not effective to bring these types of topics to a board or executive team and talk about it as if we're in a room with a bunch of security professionals. The reality is, is what I had to talk about with the board and the executives is exactly what I just said. If we're trying to be a 24 by 7 operation that's avoiding this downtime at all costs, well not at all costs, within reason, and we're aggressively, we have one of the most effective food service programs or food safety programs in the world that we're aggressively maintaining compliance with, with this continued influx of these devices within this environment, I can't continue to provide that insurance until we implement a solution that allows us to understand what these devices are, how they're being used, then relate that back to how our business is being run, and then what we can now do is what we've traditionally done, which is look at those potential risks to the current business operations, the potential risks to the strategy that the board's already approved, and to prioritize our efforts based upon that. So what I, what I talk about with peers and with other folks in the community is whether it's Armis specifically or it's another solution, We've got to remind ourselves that if we don't know what's in our environments, 
meaning that we don't understand what technology is there, why it's being used, what purpose it has, what's normal, what's abnormal. First and foremost, we're not remembering the top 20 critical CIS controls, but when we think about that, those controls exist for a reason, because we don't know what we have, therefore we don't understand the risks, and therefore we can't manage those risks. So when we looked at this, we thought, first and foremost, we need to know what we have. We need to understand this environment. We need to understand what we have, what's normal, etc. We need to establish the baseline, and we did that through Arbus. And then what we did downstream from that is because we now had an understanding of what the business looked like from the back-end perspective, we could relate it to what the front-end business looked like, we could now start looking at the value and the impact of these devices and start putting them into boundaries and understand them. And quite honestly, one of the huge benefits that came out of this was every other security solution that potentially identified something happening within the environment now had an understanding of what that thing was because Armis could inform it. Mm -hmm. So Armis became our source of the truth for what a device was so that anytime an alert actually came into the SOC, whether it was being responded to through SOAR or by an individual, there was actual detail there that the, the individual could respond to or the service or action could respond to versus having to investigate the details before you could actually respond to the event, which as we continue to look at some of these challenges, that's not a good place to be as you're looking at more and more attacks becoming orchestrated and a lot more intelligent that are responding to the actions that humans are taking on the, on the other side of the attack. Yeah. So all incredibly important um, but again, I would start with understanding what you've got and understanding the risk associated with those things when tied back to the business and explaining the ladder to the business to get the budget. It's all about telling a story that is data-driven that resonates with the executives and the leaders that are going to release the budget. And if it's just a technical conversation around, I don't understand what I have, I need to understand what I have, that doesn't usually go well. But again, going back to what I said, under, relating it back to what's important to the business goes much, much better. When talking about threats to IoT, some of the consequences that uh, are commonly feared uh, would be things like um, anything from data exfiltration to industrial sabotage, uh, things of that nature. Um, what about ransomware? Um, you know, that ransomware, we, we've really seen an, an uptick in the last year on a concentration of ransomware attacks, uh, particularly in various types of uh, manufacturing or industrial or supply chain or distribution uh, type environments. Yep. So was that a big concern uh, at Cisco from an IoT perspective, ransomware? It was, and we tackled it from two perspectives. We started with traditional endpoints, uh, making sure that we had those shored up accordingly. We had effective protection on those endpoints, that protection was consistent, it was installed from the moment those devices were used online. And again, that's just because your common attack vector is gonna be traditional IT in many cases. But as we've seen, what often happens is that quickly propagates into, especially if you look at some of the water cry events and such like that, into places like the manufacturing floor, or in our case, into the warehouse. So we were very much concerned about it, and we were becoming even more concerned as certain devices were becoming 4G connected and had maybe wireless capabilities outside of the traditional network, and we need to understand if those devices were potentially compromised at any point in time, we need to, wherever possible, prevent ransomware from being 
or those devices from being infected with ransomware and at minimum need to be able to isolate those devices before they affect that entire warehouse operation and shut down business in such a costly manner. Uh, and before we wrap things up, uh, I wanted to touch on one other very interesting point that you made. Uh, when we were uh, prepping for this uh, little podcast, uh, you had mentioned to me uh, a, a trend that uh, you had been observing of CISO fatigue. And basically, you were saying that uh, we're starting to witness uh, a mass exodus of CISOs from major corporations as they migrate to uh, smaller companies or even startups. Um, is that what you personally experienced in moving from Cisco to Armis? And um, if this is uh, indeed a trend, what's driving it? So it's definitely a trend. I can tell you after near. After nearly every security event I've been to in the last three years, as CISOs have a beer with one another after the event, this is often the conversation. Um, many CISOs that have been doing the job for 10 years or more don't necessarily want to do the job anymore, at least not in the traditional role that they have or capacity that they have. And much of the trend is being driven by the fact that, and this is not just based upon my experience, but again, based upon many different experiences, is that in many cases what you're seeing is that different functions, departments, and teams within organizations are rewarded for achieving outcomes that do not necessarily include security. It's a very important paradigm because as you think about just one initiative, and if that initiative is finance or HR needs to move to a cloud-based ERP solution and migrate away from these legacy solutions so you can better standardize processes across a global organization and start realizing better value through that implementation. You look at just that type of initiative. If that's running three months behind and bonuses are going to be paid out based upon that achieving its date, which is very often the case, again, those outcomes, those bonuses are not tied to delivering that capability as a secure capability and understanding all those risk cases and managing those risk cases. Security will bring all of those things to the table. They'll have a lot of people in the room nod their heads and agree to take those actions and to manage that risk, but they're all, all of those things are put to the bottom of the list. And as the project starts to become at risk, those bonus payouts start to become at risk, all those things at the bottom of the list are dropping off. And the reality is this, you can only manage so much of risk within an organization through tech. So we talk about things like IoT. IoT is very much a tech-based risk. But when you look at a lot of the other risks you're managing within an organization, some of them are just tied to straight up bad business processes that need to be changed. Because wrapping tech around bad business processes gets really expensive really quickly, and it's not the best way to manage the risk. But again, if you've got security folks that are running into these scenarios left and right across the organization, because everyone's being rewarded for what they achieve in relation to that specific outcome tied to their function that doesn't include security at all. Everything's a fight. Everything's a battle. You're walking away with accomplishments at the end of the day, but you're also walking away with 15 failures. It's not necessarily the most rewarding or fulfilling experience. So a lot of folks are starting to say, I love what I do. I can't be as effective as I should be where I am. So where can I go where I can be more effective and there's less boundaries to success and more runways to success?
Great. Uh, well, makes sense. Uh, well, with that, we've just about run out of time, but I want to thank you so much, Curtis, for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.